story, God's story for almost six months now. Jesus is just now coming on the scene. It's like, what's taking so long? We've seen hints and prophecies of his coming, but we've waited a long time for Jesus to appear in God's story. He's been behind the scenes through it all. But now he appears in the flesh. He appears as a baby in a manger. He's up front. He's, he's up front and personal. 21 weeks we've been in this story. It seems like a long time to impatient people like me, impatient people like you. 21 weeks is a long time to wait for Jesus. But imagine if you were one of those Jews waiting for this Messiah. They waited 400 years for Jesus to appear. Four centuries and more, God's people waited for the promised Messiah to come. God had good reason to make them wait, but still they had to wait. And I'm sure they found it hard year after year. Would this be when the Deliverer, the Messiah, would come? The last of the prophets spoke about 440 B.C. as the Jerusalem temple and the walls of Jerusalem were being rebuilt. Harry Gill preached about that last week. Final prophets of the Old Testament, Malachi and Zechariah, warned the people to stay faithful to God. And very quickly, they grew unfaithful. They got restless. They started serving other gods. They start intermarrying with other people around them. And, and they failed to obey and worship God as he commanded them to. What followed was about 400 years of silence while God waited for the right time to bring salvation to his people. Prior to this, God had spoken in many ways, hadn't he? He had spoken by visions, he'd spoken by dreams, by prophecies, by angelic visits. But now he spoke through a person. He spoke through the incarnation. He spoke by making a personal appearance. The eternal word of God became flesh and lived among us. He became one of us. At Christmas time, we often read the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. I know our family always does. Always goes to Luke chapter 2, and we read about Mary and Joseph making their way to Bethlehem, and then the baby's born in the stable out back, and, and then the shepherds came to worship him. In Luke's gospel, we also read, within eight days after he was born, they took him to the temple, and there they were going to dedicate him and, and officially name him Jesus. And while they were there, they met two people that they had no idea would be part of the story, Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna illustrate and actually epitomize this, this longing that the faithful Jews of the time had. They had waited their entire lives for the Messiah to come. They were waiting at the temple for God's promised Messiah. And Simeon had been told that he would be able to see the Messiah before he died. God had promised him that. And day after day, he waited and waited. Now he had grown into a very old man. I wonder, maybe he had started to doubt a little bit. Is this ever going to happen before I die? But one morning, the Holy Spirit woke him up and said, today's the day. He went down to the temple expecting something great to happen. And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph came walking in with this little baby. And the Holy Spirit somehow communicated to Simeon, this is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. And he goes up and he takes a child from their hands. And he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of men in Israel so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Then he blessed Mary 
and Joseph, and he said, this child is going to, to fulfill what God has said, and, and, and God is going to work in an amazing way. My eyes have now seen your salvation, Lord. You've allowed me to see what you prepared. Here is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. And as he's speaking, this other person walks up. Her name is Anna. She's 84 years old. She has served in the temple day and night. It says that she has spent never leaving the temple, fasting and praying before the Lord, expecting something to happen, waiting for God to come, show up, and then she sees the baby. And she hears Simeon's words. And when she saw the baby, Luke tells us she gave thanks to God and she told everybody that she could find about what she had seen in this child because many of her friends were longing for the redemption of Israel. Now, we've been in this story for almost six months now. We have spent that entire time in the Old Testament, which is about the first two-thirds of our Bible. And we have been paving the way for the Messiah to come. In his upper story, God has been patiently waiting, patiently working toward this day. And now the upper story fully, completely intersects with the lower story where we live here on planet Earth in our day-to-day humdrum lives. Why did God wait so long to send his son? Why did the intersecting of the upper story and the lower story happen at this precise moment? Now, the Gospel of John, the writer John, seems to focus on this a lot, this timing. Why is the timing the way it is? John's Gospel starts out differently than the others, where they start with maybe the birth of Jesus, or they tell a little bit about Mary and Joseph and so on. John goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. He begins with an eternal perspective that sounds a lot like the opening verses of the story, the opening verses of the Bible. In Genesis 1.1, remember we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John begins his gospel with very similar words to that. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. John reaches all the way back to the beginning of the story to emphasize the scope and the significance of Jesus' coming. An earth-shattering thing was happening that Jesus would come into the world. The eternal word of God was taking human form. God himself was coming to live among us. Listen to the rest of the opening of his, his gospel. In him, in this word, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So after 400 years without any new revelation from God, suddenly his word, Jesus, burst forth on the scene of human history. Suddenly there was a fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies which had preceded his coming. Suddenly God himself came to earth to do what only God could do, to save his people through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the sinless Son of God. John says that only a few people received Jesus at first. But to those who did receive him, he gave the power, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. I like one how one writer puts it. He says, heaven had been very quiet for 400 years. No burning bushes, no pillars of fire or clouds of smoke, no splitting seas, no visions, no dreams, no prophets, no message from God, just silence. Then in a simple, unpretentious, quiet way, a word. But not just a word, the word. And at the time, the event mattered only to a blue-collar carpenter and his teenage bride. In fact, if it weren't for some local shepherds and a couple of distant astrologers, no one else would have known. But in fact, history had changed. The word of God had taken on flesh and blood and was first heard in a baby's cry. His birth was unspectacular, yet his presence dispelled darkness and cast an inescapable ray of light across history, past, present, and future. God's promises to Abraham and David had found fulfillment at long last. Jesus would bless all nations and would take his rightful place on David's throne. It is this event to which everything else thus far in the story has pointed. It was the birth of a king, the birth of the king, the birth of the king of kings onto planet earth. Two chapters into John's gospel, we read about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish leader that came to Jesus with questions. He didn't know really who Jesus was for sure, and he didn't know what he was teaching, and so he had questions. And in the middle of their conversation, John chapter 3, Jesus makes a very bold statement as to his purpose, as to why he came. And every child who's ever gone to Sunday school knows what Jesus said. It's called John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loved us that he sent his son. He gave his son to us. He sent his son into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. We needed saving. Every person in this room needs saving. Every person in this room is a sinner condemned before God. Me, you, everybody that I could ever see in my life is condemned before God because of our sin. We have all rebelled. We have all sinned against him in some way, and we need forgiveness. But God said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you unsaved. I'm going to send my son into the world, and he's going to save you through his life and his death and his resurrection. Jesus came not as a political leader, as a military leader, as some kind of uh, great conqueror, but he came as a true rescuer, as a deliverer. Not to deliver us for just a few short years from Roman oppression like the Jews expected, but actually to deliver us and to save us for eternity. And thank God he did. Now, as I was thinking this week about the timing of all of this, when John spends so much time talking about the timing of Jesus coming there just when he did, I started thinking about how we think about timing. 
First thing I thought about was this, is we think God's timing's kind of slow, don't we? We get really slow and impatient with God. We may wonder, when is God going to show up after all? I've been praying about this, I've been thinking about this, I've been working towards this, and God just seems to be sitting there silently. Why is he taking so long? When is he going to step up? When is he going to change things? When is he going to make things right? When we're in the middle of troubles and we're in the middle of trials, we grow impatient. We may be looking for a job. We may have an illness or injury, and we want to get, get that done with. We want to get past that. Maybe we're waiting for a child. Maybe we're waiting for a mate to marry, and we're looking for that special person we could spend our life with. All kinds of things in this life we have to wait on, and it seems like God is so slow. Why is he so slow? I'm sure the Jews were wondering why God was taking so long to send their Messiah Today, sometimes the, the mockers of our faith, the people that want to put us down for believing in God, will say, well, where is he? You know, why doesn't he do something? Can he do something? And so they throw this stuff in our faces. The Apostle Peter tells us to remember one thing when we think about slowness and impatience. He says, remember that to the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. We say, thank you very much for that. Because I still think about day by day. Well, we hear this thousand-year stuff, you know, but God's perspective, he's saying, is so different because he's not limited by time. He sees the entire picture at once. God is not slow, Peter says, 2 Peter 3. He is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. What is exercising his patience? Not wanting anyone to perish, he said, but everyone to come to repentance. So God is not slow in these things. He's exercising extreme patience so that everyone can turn back to him who possibly will. And the reason he delays a lot of things is so that people have time to make a move back towards God. God's timing may seem slow to us, but secondly, God's timing is perfect. It's perfect in Jesus' birth. It's perfect in every other way. It seems delayed, but it isn't. The world's circumstances at the time of Jesus' birth were ripe and and ready. In the fullness of time, Jesus came, the Bible says. God's upper story came down to the lower story at just the right time. History had come to a convergence. Jewish history and Roman history and commerce and transportation all collided in one glorious intersection here. There was a common language across the whole Roman Empire that had never been true before. It was the Greek language. It was called Koine Greek, common Greek. There were good roads to travel east to west, north to south. This was the precise moment that God had prepared for since creation. And Jesus came, and this one man fulfilled over 300 prophecies that God had made. The statistics of that are astronomical. How could one person fulfill that? It was because God knew exactly what was going to happen before it happened. Now, John makes a big deal about this timing, as I said, this perfect timing of God. In John 6, Jesus has brothers, and they're saying, you need to go up to Jerusalem now. You need to do your miracles there so people can believe in you. They're, They're really kind of taunting him. And Jesus answers, he says, the right time for me has not yet come. So he won't go. John 7.30, his enemies, once he does go up to Jerusalem, try to seize him. They're unable to do so because John says, 
It was not yet his time. His time had not yet come. In fact, if you read carefully through John, there are three different times that his enemies tried to seize him and he slips away because his time had not yet come. And then Jesus gathered with his disciples up in the upper room. And there the whole language begins to change. And we read, the time has come. The time is upon us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And shortly after that, he's arrested. He's tried by the Sanhedrin and Pilate. And then he's crucified. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 6, he said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, Jesus came. At just the right time, Jesus came to give his life to save us all. So even though it seemed that God was slow in sending our Savior, and even though we thought that his timing was off, his timing was perfect. We are now left with this question. Will we trust his timing for our lives? Will we trust God to have perfect timing for you, for me, for the events and the circumstances of our lives? Will God achieve his perfect will if we will wait and allow him to choose the timing for that? There are times in our lives when against all appearances that God is in control, uh, he is, <laughs> and we need to trust his timing. Doesn't seem like it, but he is. He's in charge. There are times in our lives when we're bewildered and confused. We're not sure what to do next, but we need to trust his timing because God always knows what he's doing. There are times in our lives when our backs are against the wall, but God has a way out every time, and his timing is always perfect. God, God sees the big picture. God gets it all at once. He's not limited to past, present, or future. He's there and all of it at the same time. And God always knows what's best and what we should be doing. He knew when the right time was to send his son into the world to redeem us. And he knows when the right time is to, re, to help you to fulfill promises in your life or in mine. We need to understand that he's in control. Nothing is happening that is surprising to God. God never says, oh, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> God never says, wow, didn't expect that. Because he's already there. And he already knows everything's going to happen before it happens. And so he takes our lives and he molds and shapes them. And he moves them to a point where it's just the right time, the right things can happen. But we need to live in faith and in expectation and in hope that that is how God is going to work in our lives. We need to understand that he is in control. This story that we're in is God's story, isn't it? It's not my story. It's not your story. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's God's story. And what we need to do, we can start figuring out now in week 22, is how we fit into that story. Because God not only has a story, but he invites us into it. And he wants every one of us to understand where we fit in that story and what he has as a purpose, as a plan for our lives. It's time for us to start figuring out where we fit. It's time for us to open our hearts and to open our minds so that God can show us what to do. It's time for us to wait on the Lord, maybe, and to just sit back and say, God, okay, I'm here. I'm expecting. I'm waiting for you to do something here. I want to see what you will do, and I want to see when you will do it, but I am trusting you for you to do both. Simeon and Anna waited their whole lives for God to show them the Savior, Jesus. What are you waiting for? 
Imagine all of us are waiting for something. Some of us are waiting for a loved one to find Christ. We've, we've been talking to them. We've been trying to set the right example for them or show them that we live for Christ and hope that they will get it. But we're waiting for that. Some of us are waiting for, for healing of some kind. Maybe physical healing, maybe emotional healing, maybe psychological healing, maybe healing of a relationship. We're waiting for that. We're longing for that. Some of us are waiting for peace in our lives. There's just too much trouble, too many trials. Are you waiting for direction and wisdom from God? I just want to encourage you this morning that God has perfect timing. We've seen it. We know it. He has perfect time all the time. In Psalm 31, 15, the psalmist writes, My times are in your hands. And that's true. My time is in God's hands. Your time is in God's hands. Romans 8, 28, which we've already looked at in this series, says that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working for good in your life. You can count on it. So trust him. Trust his timing. Chuck Colson used to tell a story of how they went uh, to different prisons. He was in charge of a big prison minister up to his death a few years ago. <clears throat> and uh, they decided to make this tour of a couple different maximum security prisons around the country. They found themselves in Salem, Oregon, in a huge prison of men. And uh, they, they held kind of a worship service for them as their, their prison fellowship ministry there. And he had Kathy Tricoli with him, which is a really wonderful singer. She was touring with him. And, and so she got up and she sang this song. It's called My Life is in, in His Hands. And uh, she, she just sang the song, and afterwards this one inmate came up, and he says, Kathy, I just got to thank you for that song. He said, that is so meaningful to me. My soul has been so dry lately. She said, really, why is that? She says, well, well my life is, is really bad. He says, I, I've, I've been convicted, of course. I've got time here, and I've got lots of years left. And just when I thought nothing worse could happen, I got this letter from my wife. She said she wants a divorce. She can't just deal with it anymore. She wants a divorce. And, and I don't know what to do with that, but your song has changed my thinking. That I see my life is in God's hands, and somehow he's going he's gonna to make it okay. And, and now I'm at peace with this. And so they left Salem, Oregon, and five days later they're now back in, in another prison. They're in Chicago, Illinois. And they get up and they do their worship time. And Kathy gets up. She sings that same song, My Life is in His Hands. And a woman walks up to him. She's never been to a prison fellowship meeting before. But she's an inmate. And, and she comes up and she says, I just want to thank you for that song. It just ministered to me so much. My soul was so dry. I said, that's kind of strange. That's the same words that other guy said. She said, well, why is that? What's your story? She says, well, she says, my husband's also in prison. And uh, I've just written to him saying that I want a divorce. And, and I'm not at peace with that. <laughs> I'm not at peace with that. And your song has said to me, God has got all of this in his hands, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. And I'm going to see what God will do. And that was husband and wife, both of them in different prisons. I want you to know today that God, God has a way of working that may seem like a coincidence, but how could that possibly be a coincidence? And God is working out timing even specifically in people's lives in very, very powerful ways and very quiet ways sometimes. And God has amazing things that he wants to do in your life as well. But the question is, will you trust him to do that? Will you trust him to do that? 
In Romans 13, 11, Paul says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It is time for you to wake up because salvation is nearer than when you first believed. If you're a Christian, you can rejoice in that. You can rejoice that you have a relationship with God and God is working out your life and eventually you're going to go home and going to be with God forever. But if you're not a Christian, then that verse is saying, wake up. Don't get so comfortable here. Don't just feel like you've got all the time in the world that you can make a decision later because your salvation is nearer now than when when you first heard. And maybe you came here even this morning not really planning to meet God, not really planning that anything would happen, but God is speaking to your heart this morning in a very powerful way, not because of my words, but because of the Holy Spirit who is translating that into your heart and saying to you in a very definite way that God loves you, God cares about you, God has a plan for your life, and He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you need forgiveness, you need new life, and acknowledge that it's only in Jesus that you're going to find those things. It's only in Jesus that you could be saved. Will you trust him? We're going to sing a song in a couple minutes. Songs about the amazing grace of God. Also talks about how our chains are broken and we've been set free by the power of Jesus. Those chains are the chains of sin and death and hell, but through Jesus we can be forgiven. We've not really gotten to that part of the story yet where Jesus gives his life on the cross and he pays the penalty for our sins, but it's coming. And we know that it is true. And we know that it is only in Jesus that we can be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And we encourage you today, we invite you today to surrender your life to Jesus. As we sing that song in just a few minutes, all we're asking you to do is come up here and acknowledge your need for God and to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and to be obedient to, to Jesus today. We can help you do that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your love uh, that has made all things possible. I thank you for your perfect timing, uh, that you see the big picture and you can know so much about us that we don't even understand ourselves. There are people here today, Lord, that know you, that love you, that serve you, that need the encouragement to be reminded your timing is perfect, that you know what is best for our lives. We wait on you. We trust you for that. We rejoice in the relationship we have with you. But there are also others here today, Lord, I'm confident that that don't really know you. That have never acknowledged their, their need for a Savior. That have never come before you and asked for Jesus to forgive them. And put their trust, their confidence in him to do that. There are others who have come here today, Lord, that, that maybe believe somehow in Jesus and want him to be their Savior, but they've never been obedient. They've never been baptized into Christ. And they, they know that Jesus is Lord. And that begins with being baptized. Just to show the willingness to obey, to surrender, to submit. Whatever decision may be in someone's heart today, Lord, I pray that they would act upon that. Because our salvation is nearer today than it was just yesterday. And time is short. Help us, Lord, to each make whatever decision we need today as we 
sharing this decision time. In Jesus' name I pray.